Welcome to church, everybody. How are we doing? Doing good. Turning your Bibles to Ephesians 1. We are so close to being done with the first chapter. And as you remember, there are six of them. And it is rich and full. So I, I urge you to stick around. I also urge you to be reading this at home. Don't just wait till you get here or don't just wait till you get this small group. Read it. Study it. Dig into it. There, there, is, there are riches to be found in this word of God. And this is uh, the Holy Spirit is enough for you as well. You don't need to wait on me to tell you what it means. Please don't wait on me to tell you what it means. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Ephesians 1, uh, starting in verse 15 tonight, I'm going to read this. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in together. Ephesians 1, 15. Paul is praying here, and he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, so that you may know what is the hope to which, you, which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Father God in heaven, I ask for the enlightenment of our hearts as Paul did, for you to shed light abroad in our hearts, for you to illuminate the dark places, for you to revive the dull places in our hearts tonight. Make us more like you. Make us more alive. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Anybody? Amen. I love the way that Paul opens this letter. We've been teaching through it for the last several weeks, right? But I love the way he opens the letter. He starts with huge praise for God. This is God and his sovereignty and his, his providence from before the foundation of the world. This is how great our God is. This is how strong his salvation is. And then we talked last week about the seal of our salvation being the Holy Spirit. We've now seen in just a few verses and barely any sentences, by the way, we've seen him pack in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God in three persons, and he's talked about their roles, and it's all happening right here in like 15 verses. And then he comes to, to, to this close of the chapter, and he's, he starts to pray, which is different. And I love it because he starts to pray after, after he addresses who God is, and he puts him up here, and he says, this is our God, this is who we sing about, this is who we worship, this is who we love, this is who loved us first. Then he addresses the church, and he tells them he's been praying for them often, like actually without ceasing. And then after he tells them that he's praying for them, he didn't stop there. He told them what he was praying. 
And I think that's so cool. So he starts with, it, with an introduction of himself, and then he gets quickly into who God is, very important. Then he talks about our identity because of what Jesus has done, and then he addresses his audience with a prayer that he's been praying very personally and specifically for them. And he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith and I've heard of the love that you have toward one another, for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He's praying for those who are in Christ. we got to get that first, right? He's praying to the church. Last week we talked a lot about in Him, in Christ. What does it look like to be securely in Christ? And how do you become in Christ? And now he's addressing those people who are in Christ. He's talking to the Christians. He says, because I've seen your love and I've seen your faith, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Do we pray for our brothers and sisters? How often do we pray for our brothers? Is it like a I do not cease type of thing? Paul said, I do not cease. Like there's not even a contraction, you know, like don't. It's do not. Emphasis. I don't know if that's really in the text, but that's pretty cool for me right now. Do not cease to give thanks for you. How often do we pray for our brothers and sisters? And when we do, what do we pray? This has been challenging me this week. Because oftentimes I'm not praying the way that Paul is praying. We tend to pray for different things. We tend to pray for comfort and peace and satisfaction and joy and, and temporal realities. I speak for myself. I tend to pray for temporal realities a lot. What's your prayer request? And, and don't, let me just, just a second. Keep giving the prayer requests. Keep, keep praying for the temporary things. Like, don't stop that. I'm not telling you to stop that. But I'm recognizing that in the text here, Paul could be praying a lot of things for the Ephesians. But he chose very specifically these things to pray for them. And these things that he prayed are very different than what I typically pray when I pray for my brothers and sisters. Not only is the content of his prayer different, but the totally blanked on a word for this. How often? What am I saying? You know, the the frequency. Help me preach it tonight, Taylor. Not only is the rewind, not only is the content different than what I'm praying, but the frequency with which he is praying it is very different than my frequency as well. And I'm challenged by this. And so we're going to focus on tonight, we're going to focus on what Paul chose to pray for the church in Ephesus. And, and the reason we're going to focus on this, the content of his prayer, and be challenged by the frequency, <laughs> is because I believe that. If this becomes a common prayer that we pray for one another here, things are going to shift 
This is like the top shelf, most important thing. Paul is saying, this is what I'm praying for you. Here's your model. This is what's important. Pay attention to this. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith and I've heard of your love toward one another, I pray for you without ceasing. And here's what I pray, is what he says. Here's what I pray, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Who is Him? Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That He would give you wisdom and revelation to be able to have knowledge of Him. And then He unpacks it further and He says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, number one. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, number two. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might, number three. So first we see that this is a prayer for knowledge. What kind of knowledge. Let's define what this means. Literally, the definition for this word epignosis in the Greek, it's two words, epi, which means on or fitting, like to fit on, literally is what that means. The other word gnosis means knowledge gained through first-hand relationship. So this is an intimate type of knowledge. This same word gnosis is used elsewhere and the transliterations of it are used elsewhere to describe intimacy. This is the depth of knowing. So it's not just knowing about, it's knowing experientially. And these two words together properly, literally mean contact knowledge. Like a first-hand relationship, being in contact and fitted in on Knowledge. First-hand experiential knowing. Not just any kind of knowledge. This is a first-hand experiential type of thing. Because you can know something without really experiencing it. You know what I'm saying? Like Taco Bell nacho cheese. Come on, somebody. You can know that that's Taco Bell nacho cheese without having tasted it. Because you just know. Like it kind of looks like Velveeta, but it's got a different <laughs> texture. It's smoother. There's something about that that's Taco Bell. Live Moss. I love Taco Bell, by the way. Nobody else does. So you can know that that's Taco Bell cheese. You can, is that Taco Bell, babe? What'd you get? Who got it? So you, what do you mean it's all the same? Hold on. What? All right, enough interaction from the, from the crowd. All right. You can know that it's nacho cheese from Taco Bell without, it, without actually tasting it or experiencing it. But when you taste it, it's obvious, right? 
It's different. It's different. It's kind of like seeing and meeting and experiencing your heroes. Has anybody ever met somebody that they are, it's a hero in their mind, a role model, a, maybe a celebrity, like a big time, you know, whatever, and you're coming up and you don't know how to act type of thing. Like that's kind of the nerves that you have. You, you knew who they were before you experienced them. But then when you experience them, it's a different kind of thing. Like, do you know who Tiger Woods is? Do you, yeah, the guy who had a wreck. That's why I brought him up, because he had two wrecks. But the reason I brought him up is because I feel like we need to pay homage to him. And he is clearly one of my heroes, and for some reasons and not for others. And, but you know who he is. Has anybody met him? Zero people have met him. I came real close. And I want to tell you about it. Because it was different. Tiger's one of those guys, when you see him, it's like, Still surreal. Like most people, when you've got them up on a pedestal and you see them in real life, you realize that they put their pants on the same way, you know. But Tiger's not that way. He is always like, boom. Like you, you feel like you're looking at a video game when you're, when you're close to him. And this one time, I, I was, uh, anyway, long story short, I played golf in college. We played in a tournament in Augusta. We got tickets to the Masters, which is in Augusta, big golf tournament in Augusta. And we got to go in the clubhouse because there was a former champion named Tommy Aaron. You may have seen the sign on the road, Tommy Aaron from Gainesville that was there. So he let me come into the clubhouse. And so I get to go in and I get to meet some of the players. And I'm in the clubhouse. And this is an experience for me at like 19 and a half years old. And I'm looking around and all these people, I'm like, Okay, where's Tiger? You know? And all these people, Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Justin Rose, you may not know any of those names. It may have nothing to do with your life, but it had a huge part of my life. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm just kind of like this. And I kid you not, Ian Poulter. Anybody know who Ian Poulter is? Three of you. Awesome. He's English, British. And he comes straight up to me, and he goes, well played today. And I was like, thanks, mate. <laughs> like in an accent, too. Like, how stupid are you right now? You know, one of those moments where you second guess, did I just say that in his accent? <laughs> and it's this thing, and I'm in the deal, and I'm in there. I'm like in the room, and I'm experiencing it. And Tiger Woods is having a sandwich right there, peanut butter and jelly. With Phil Mickelson, not at that table because they don't like each other. And Dustin Johnson and Adam Scott and Rory McIlroy. All these people are there. All these people that I got way up here. And I'm like, whoa. And I'm experiencing it. I, mean, I know who they are. But now I'm taking a step a little deeper. And I hadn't really met them yet. But I'm experiencing this moment, you know. I'm trying to paint this picture because when, when, you're, when you know something, it's different than experiencing it. It's different than really being there. And every natural example that I could paint right now to help us see the difference in knowing and really knowing, experiencing, is going to fall in comparison to what Paul is writing about here. Because Paul said, you got to have your heart eyes open. And you can't do that by getting a ticket to get in the right room in the locker room of Augusta National. 
This is a spiritual reality, but it's possible. And it's firsthand possible. Close and personal. This experiential consciousness is what Paul wants us to have. This is what he's praying for the church. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Let's look at this enlightened word for a minute. Let's break it down a little bit. Enlightened means to shine light on or in. To expose and overcome darkness. That's what this word means. That's what, that's what the word Paul used in the original. That's what they would have thought about. This exposing and overcoming of darkness. Now remember, he's talking to believers. He's not talking to non-believers. He's not talking to people that, that don't believe in God. He's talking to people that believe and trust in Jesus and have the Holy Spirit. And he's implying and saying that we still have some dark places that need to be enlightened. Some dull places that need to be revived. There's some corners that are not ready to be revealed to about who God is and what he's doing. He says that their eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. Not just the eyes of our head. He didn't go physical. He went spiritual. The eyes of the heart. Because this is deeper. This is more experiential. And I really think that this should be encouraging to us. Because if you were here last week, you remember we talked about trusting in the seal of the Holy Spirit. Even when we can't feel it. Even when we can't see it, remember that? we've talked. Some of you, we've talked this week, and you're like, ah, man, that kind of hurt. Because I'm talking about trusting the word of God when he says that you're sealed in Christ by the Spirit, even when you can't feel it or sense it or experience it fully. And after that challenge, Paul comes back empathizing with our natural limitations, and he's saying, give them the eyes of their hearts Enlightened so that they can know, experience firsthand. Because he knew our natural limitations. And yes, we need to trust what God says about us being sealed. But we also can take comfort and solace in the fact that, that we can go to God and ask him to reveal more of himself to us. Because he wants us to experience him. He doesn't. Nah, side note, he doesn't want us to experience temporal comfort more than he wants us to experience a knowledge of how big and powerful and awesome and hopeful he is. Second Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. <laughs> We got to slow down when we read, man. We got to slow down when we read. The same God who said, Let the light shine, let there be light. Do you know what this is saying? This same God who from nothing created things, He said, Let there be light. This same God has shown, shown 
in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Personal language. The face of Him. Because our God has a face. Because our God came down when He didn't have to. And we can see Him in the person and the work of Jesus chronicled through the Scriptures. And He came down. He's this same God shown in our hearts to brighten it up and give us a knowledge of this personal deity. Jeremiah 24, 7. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. How many of you have a hard time committing to a whole heart type of thing? I mean, we, you don't have to do it. Sorry. I don't mean, I'll just do it by myself. <laughs> Wholeheartedness? Like every bit? But I struggle, and I struggle, and I shift, and I pivot, and I'm weird in my mind. But God, amen, like I'm weird in <laughs> But God wants to shine in every crook and crevice and, and in your heart so, so that he can brighten it up, so that you can bring it all to him. This isn't a thing where we can just get it right. This is a thing where we go to him and we say, we need the one who said, let there be light over all creation to do that personally and specifically in our hearts today and tomorrow and the next day. Because I don't have a hope in all of my deal. Shifty. Fickle. This prayer is to open the eyes of our hearts. Shine on the ignorance. <laughs> Revive the dullness. What a prayer to pray. What a prayer to pray. When, you, when, all, when, when everything just fell apart, when everything in your life just fell apart, God, would you shine on my ignorance? Because I don't see you properly right now. I'm drowning in all of my circumstances. I'm drowning in that boy that broke up with me or that marriage that failed or that wayward Son, because no daughter was wayward, so I chose son. I'm drowning in these circumstances, and I'm not seeing you rightly because I'm focused on the temporary. So God, would you light up my ignorance and show me who you are? Paul doesn't pray for the circumstances to change. And we want it. And we pray for it. But don't you think we should prioritize the right view of the Father who is in heaven? Who is shining light on the circumstances? Who is ruling and reigning? And as he's shining light, we see that none of this matters in relation to the hope of our calling and the strength of his power. And the riches of our inheritance. Paul's got a different type of prayer than I have. And I'm trying to adopt this. 
Because there is so much to see that we can't see. There's so much going on around us that we can't see. A whole spiritual realm. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 6 in the Old Testament where the Syrians were fighting against Israel. And they were coming up against them with a lot of force. And I want to go there really quick. If, if you have your Bible, you, I'll give you a second. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. 2 Kings chapter 6. This is an awesome story if you haven't read it. This is an awesome story illustrating the point that there is so much around us that we can't see that God sees and God knows. And God is in control of. So look at this from 2 Kings chapter 6. We'll start in, in verse 8. We'll start in verse 8. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, given warning of what's about to happen. And he said, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. And thus he used, he used to warn them so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? Because we got a mole. You see what's happening there? They got somebody that's running and ratting on them, telling the other people, the, king, the people of Israel, what's about to happen. So he's like, Can you show me who this is? And the servants say, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> They're like, we don't have a mole. But this weird thing's happening where God can empower his people to hear things when you're in your bedroom. Like, just saying. And so he said, Go, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. I'm coming after that dude. And it was told the king, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. All night, they're, they're, they're getting ready, surrounding the city. And the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out. And behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city, surrounded. And the, and, uh, and the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha, what shall we do? You've been, for, you, you know, you've been seeing into their bedroom again, and they're coming. This is on you, man. You don't want to go out there and see all that. Surrounding the city with the chariots and the horses and the great army. And Elisha said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. <laughs> and, and the servant must have, it's not in the text, must have just been like, what? Have you been outside? No, I haven't been outside. I don't have to go outside. Because I know. And the reason I know is because I trust and I believe. And because I trust and believe, God has shown into my heart and given me a knowledge of the fact that he is much more. And his armies are much greater. And his plans are still to prosper. 
and his plans for those who love him and are called according to his purposes are good. And so Elisha prayed and he said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Full of angel armies there to make war on the enemy. Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. On a very real level for us, I believe that we would be amazed at any ounce of victory that we experience over sin if we knew how much was coming up against us. We would be grateful and amazed at any bit of victory. We would see just how strong our God is to carry us through. Because surely it's not dependent on my ability to resist. But the grace that God has given me and the knowledge in the heart to know that he is greater and the hope that he's called me to is better than anything ever created. You don't appreciate the medicine you're taking unless you know the horrors of the disease that it is curing. And this is why Paul says and prays for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. He says, open up their hearts and shine in the dark places so that they may know, remember, what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Paul says, focus on him. Focus on the hope that he's given you. When it gets hard, strain forward to the better future that he has for you, not here. And then he says, see the riches of the inheritance, the glorious inheritance in the saints that we talked about last week. And, and, and see what is the immeasurable greatness of His power, God's power. And not just His power stagnant. Oh man, we don't have time to go like electrical current. But this power is toward us who believe. Like He is actively putting that power on those who believe. These three things, Paul says, is what our eyes need to be opened in our hearts to know. And you can't go to school for this knowledge. That's why Paul prioritizes it in prayer. And he puts it right after a deeply theological hymn of praise. And he says, God, would you give them a heart to see these realities of you? They can't learn it in school. They have to have a spiritual revelation. This isn't about memorization. This is about revelation. We need God to give us this knowledge. And he's writing to Christians. 
which we have to remember. Because, number one, the reason why we have to remember this is because this life, this Christian walk, is not transactional. It's not a one time and you're good. Now go on about your business. It's a sanctification process that happens as we walk with Jesus, as we follow Jesus, as we submit to his lordship and authority, as we trust and hope in his greater plan. That's the first reason why we need to remember that he's talking to Christians. The other reason we need to remember that he's talking to Christians is because this, this, this hope of our calling and this inheritance that we've been given for the future and, and the great power that's at work toward us is not available for those who are not Christians. And this should create an urgency in us if it's real for us. That there are people that are perishing without this promise. If it's great news for us to have it, it's really, really, really bad news for some to not have it. And you may be in this room tonight and you were in here last week and and you don't believe or maybe you're trying to figure it out, or maybe you're not, you're just like totally against it. I don't know where you are in the unbelieving camp. Maybe you're believing in a different religion. Maybe you're whatever. Wherever you are, we welcome you here. And the reason we welcome you here is because this truth that we're reading about that is true for those that are in Christ can be true for you. It is on the table as an offer tonight because of what Jesus has done. When he died for our sin and rose again on the third day to conquer it once and for all. It is on the table tonight for all to trust and believe. Acts chapter 2. This is where we're going to close. Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 14. Peter is, is, this is a, a huge sermon that Peter is preaching. And this is a crazy moment where all these people are gathering from all these nations and the Holy Spirit has empowered the believers to be able to speak in all of these different languages. And so everybody's looking around and they're like, how do they know what, I'm, what my language is? I'm from that place that they've never been to. They must be drunk is literally what they said. They must be drunk. And so Peter, verse 14, standing with the eleven lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. I don't know why he had to add that, but it's awesome. Lots of other reasons to not be drunk, but anyway. uh, But this is, who am I to question Peter? The rock But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Here he goes. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. Remember this from last week. And your old men shall dream dreams. (laughs) 
we learn dances in kids, and we learn stuff like that in, in uh, main service. There's, you're never too far gone. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I, sh- I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass. Don't miss this. It shall come to pass. Do not miss this it shall come to pass and it's here to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved men of Israel hear these words this is it this is the gospel this is the truth Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Well, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. (laughs) Amen. Whatever. Nope. Verse 37, we're going to skip down a little bit. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Shine the light in the darkest places. Illuminate my ignorance. Remove the dullness and and revive it. Cut me to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Boom. What shall we do? What shall we do to be saved? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you. Don't miss this. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. For all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And whoever will come to me, I will never cast out. Peter says, repent and be baptized. What shall we do? We just got cut to the heart. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized. Why be baptized, Jared? Because it's a step in obedience. Do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? Why did, why did Peter put that up there so high? Why is that so important? Do I have to do it a certain way? Do I not? No, no, no. You're missing the point. It's not about all that religion. But if you won't follow Jesus into baptism, it's going to be pretty hard for you to follow him anywhere else when times get really hard. This is about repenting of the way that we were and following Jesus with everything. And as we follow him, asking him to revive and illuminate and enlighten and give us a knowledge of him, open the eyes of our hearts so that we could see that greater is he 
than he who is in the world. So that we can see that those who are with us are much more than those who are against us. So that we can see that his plans are still to prosper and he has not forgotten us. So that we can see even when death comes very close to our family and friends that we do not grieve as those who do not have hope. Because we have a hope. And this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all that we can imagine. But we got to have spiritual eyes to see that in the heart. And so we've got to ask for it from the only one who can give it. So I don't know where you are tonight. If you don't know Jesus, this altar's open. I'm here. Others are here. Tell somebody. Let's talk about how to be saved. Just a forewarning, I'm going to point you right back to what I just said, so you already know. Because it's not a do this, do that, jump a little bit, say that right, and you're in. Come on, get up. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now be baptized. Why? Because we're to be obedient to him. It's not about going into the water. That's a symbol. It's about Dying with him every day, crucifying your flesh and walking in newness of life with the one who has created it all and is sustaining it all by the word of his immovable power. And for the rest of you, I want to challenge you, I want to urge you to let this be your prayer. God, open up the eyes of our heart. That we may know the hope of our calling that you've given us. That we may know the riches of this inheritance in the saints. And that we may know the greatness of your power toward us who believe. Open up the eyes of our hearts. Shine in the dark places. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for your brothers and sisters in this place will never be the same again. How often do I pray it? Do not cease. Father God in heaven, we are here for you. We are humbled that you have chosen and have deemed it fit to meet with us here. God, I pray tonight As we consider your truth, I pray that you would show us more of who you are. That you would show us that we have no reason to fear because you are greater than it all. And as we lift up praise, God, I pray that you would inhabit those praises and be right here with us. For those who don't know you in the room, God, I pray for boldness that they would move and respond in repentance and faith tonight. Believing in you as Lord and Savior. And for all of us, God, I pray for eyes to see in the deepest parts of our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.